You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend, Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for the SportsDaily.com and Cheesehead TV, and in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for just one thing, and that's love for Green Bay football. We'll be guiding you through the offseason from free agency to the draft and all the way to OTAs, we got you covered. Do you have a question you'd like answered on the show? Hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Gil, the offseason is, what, one week old already? <laughs> I missed the heck out of the Packers. We had uh, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst end of season press conference, and it hit me last year. The next time I saw Matt LaFleur after his end of season conference was during the draft when the camera pans on him as they are selecting Jordan Love, and I see him talking on the phone to Love. But, uh, man, that, that that's a long ways away, so... Hopefully we'll hear quite a bit from Brian Gutekunst over the next couple of months here leading up to the draft as he works his way through free agency. How's the uh, offseason going for you? Well, you know, it takes a little getting used to. I-, I have to say, I really hate the Sunday after the championship games and before the Super Bowl. It's sort of like a preview of the fact that I'm going to get up on Sunday morning for the next six months and there's not going to be football to watch. So it's always a little depressing, but uh, looking forward to the Super Bowl, this is going to be a pivotal offseason for the Packers. So close the last two years to getting to the Super Bowl, and, and they've got to do what they can to knock that door down instead of just knocking at the door while Aaron Rodgers still has the ability to get them there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is going to be a uh, pretty tricky offseason, and Gutekunst alluded to that fact talking about how COVID is certainly going to cramp their style. They're going to have to do something very unpackers like and borrow against uh, future cap years. Something that a lot of other teams like the saints have no problem doing, but the, you know, the Packers uh, ever judicious, you know, really have avoided that. And Gutekunst also mentioned that the fact that they never do that does give them some flexibility that they can actually do that this year uh, to an extent that he felt like it won't really cramp their style and that they'll still be able to accomplish the things that they want to do, which is, uh, you know, it's good news. I I think that this is definitely course correction because of COVID. I think it's, you know, some, some repair work. I don't think this has anything to do in my view and, you know, Gil, you can weigh in here. I don't think it has anything to do with the Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl window. I think it has to do with, Look, whether Rodgers was here or not, they would be missing a lot of money and not be able to accomplish the goals that they had set out. As Gutekind said, you know, we don't plan for a pandemic. Uh, I I think that uh, if Rodgers were here this year and there was no pandemic, I don't see them borrowing against the against uh, the future year's cap here. No, I agree with that. And and the the way that the. Uh, cap is going to fall and the way that COVID affected the league in general is definitely the biggest factor in why they're doing what they're doing. Well, we probably will hear from LaFleur 
at least one more time before the draft for a reason that wasn't present last year, and that is the new defensive coordinator that they are going to hire. Uh, LaFleur has been very busy interviewing candidates, a couple of whom have gone on to take jobs elsewhere already. He was moved really quickly on getting a new special teams coordinator, Mo Drayton, uh, a guy that he has worked with for uh, two years now and has liked for a long time. This defensive coordinator search, he is spending a lot more time on. So one of the things we want to do today is go over some of the candidates and kind of fill you guys in on who some of these guys are. Because some of them, like Jim Leonard, uh, Wisconsin uh, Badgers defensive coordinator, very well known again, uh, you know, among a lot of Packers fans, but, uh, a guy like Chris Harris probably aren't familiar with him. So we're going to jump into that and, uh, break down some of these candidates. So since I just mentioned him, let's take on Chris Harris, Chris Harris, not to be confused with the, uh, Broncos, uh, I believe cornerback of the same name. Chris Harris is a former safety who currently coaches defensive backs for, uh, the Washington football team. He was actually a, a really good safety, uh, played for a long time. And uh, one of the things that I really like about that is he knows what it's like on the other side of the um, relationship there. Former players don't necessarily always go on to be really good coaches. But you look at a guy like Mike Vrabel, who you know is currently the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, he used to be a pretty good linebacker. He can relate to his players in a way that uh, a lot of other guys really can't. One knock against Chris Harris is he has not been a coach for very long. Uh, this is 2020. It was just his fifth year uh, as an actual position coach. Prior to that, he was a defensive quality control coach. So one of the questions that you have about him is, does he have the required experience to transition and be a defensive coordinator already. One of my guesses here is that maybe Chris Harris is not so much an actual candidate, but maybe a guy that LaFleur is interested in possibly bringing in to replace uh, Jerry Gray, who we'll talk about in a little bit, if he makes Jerry Gray the defensive coordinator. So that's just one theory that I have right there. Uh, Gil, who do you want to take? Uh, I will take Ijiro Evero, just because it's fun to say. <laughs> and <laughs> the thing about Evero, he has a great reputation. He's uh, with the Rams. So obviously, uh, Matt LaFleur has worked with him before. And everybody who's dealt with him seems to speak very highly of what he's been able to do. He's a defensive backs coach. And I think that is one area that the Packers are going to need some help with. I mean, that breakdown in the NFC Championship game right before the half. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, on Mike Pettin, uh, to bring in a guy who might be able to help with that specific area would be a good thing. The uh, The big issue with uh, Evero also, uh, not a lot of experience. He has been a position coach for a few years, but may not be quite ready to take that job. And, and, and I think part of the other thing is he's on the younger side, so is Matt LaFleur. Maybe you want to go with a guy with a little more experience uh, on the defensive side of the ball if you're a young, offensive-minded head coach. Matt Burke is the next name. He is currently the Eagles defensive line coach. And uh, one of the things that I really love about him as a coach, okay, the Eagles were an absolute disaster in 2020, just a horrible, horrible team. The one thing that really remained a constant strength all year long was their defensive line. 
my observation as someone who, you know, is not an Eagles fan and doesn't watch a lot of their games, but I, I saw a few and we played them. Their D line seemed to be in it to win it from from, you know, minute one to minute 60. They never cashed it in. They always had high energy. Uh, they were making plays, you know, all the way up until the final whistle. I like that. I like that Matt Burke seemingly was able to keep his D-line motivated and making plays. And look, we saw, you know, the the Eagles don't have great players anywhere else on their defense, but that D-line is sometimes all you need to really bolster the rest of the defense. The linebackers and the corners and safeties, they really benefit a lot from having constant pressure on the quarterback. And not only that, Matt Burke has a pretty big emphasis on shutting down uh, the run game. Obviously, that is an area that the Packers have struggled in over the last couple of years, most famously against uh, Raheem Mostert in the NFC Championship game last year. But also this year, uh, Dalvin Cook just absolutely murdered us the second time we played the Vikings. So I would not be opposed to seeing our run defense get bolstered a bit. Matt Burke actually has been a defensive coordinator already. He was uh, the Dolphins TC. His defenses were not great. Uh, They were 26th and 27th over the two years that he was DC. But what I want to emphasize is there have been a lot of coaches over the years who had bad stints, who were, you know, failed at, at one area and, you know, kept learning and growing and came back and became outstanding coaches at at higher levels later on in their career. I don't think one instance of a, uh, you know, bad results there in in Miami is enough for me to really be scared off of the prospect of Matt Burke is certainly something to weigh into consideration. But I think you look at how many phenomenal coaches that we really respect have had some bad stints like that and how it really did not hold them back in the future. I got to keep him pretty high on the list for me. He's, he's one of my higher candidates. Yeah, I, I would agree. You shouldn't be scared off. I mean, look, I'll mention a name, Matt LaFleur. How good was his offense yeah. in Tennessee when he was calling oh, plays for the terrible. Titans? Yeah. Not very good. Took him half a season to figure out, hey, I got this Derrick Henry guy. Maybe I should give him the ball a little bit more often. Uh, and yet he's come into Green Bay and had a lot of success. So, yeah, no, that's not necessarily, uh, to me, prohibitive. And then you also have to look at how much talent did he have to work with in Miami when he was there? And I think the answer is not a heck of a whole lot. For sure. Who you got next? Uh, I'm going to go with Jim Leonard, uh, the University of Wisconsin defensive coordinator. Uh, here is a guy who has interviewed for NFL jobs uh, the last couple of years. And he comes from a similar coaching tree as Mike Pettin. So you bring in Jim Leonard, it's a different voice. It's a slightly different perspective, but you're probably not tearing everything down on defense and then building it back up from scratch, which may be an advantage. Uh, You know, one of the concerns you have with changing defensive coordinators is, you know, you're going to take a step back while the team adjusts. And if you're trying to win now, you don't want to take too big of a step back. The question with Leonard, he's done a great job at Wisconsin. Any Badger fan will tell you that. But it's one thing to be a successful college coach, and it's a completely different thing to do that same thing in the National Football League. Now, stylistically, 
college offenses and, and defenses are closer now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. But uh, you're still dealing with adult men as opposed to college kids. And it's still a whole different level of football. So his lack of NFL experience would be my biggest concern. But his track record uh, at the college level and the fact that he comes from a similar coaching tree as what the Packers have already dealt with, that to me makes him a strong candidate. Yeah, one of my favorite things about Leonard is that the defense he runs is very similar to what we already have in Green Bay. A lot of these pieces that we have gone out and spent significant capital on to acquire and to coach up in our system, you know, we're not wasting a lot of that. And in that same vein, another guy that uh, you could kind of say some similar stuff about would be Jerry Gray, currently the Packers defensive backs coach. For the last 15 years, he has been a defensive backs coach uh, with the uh, Washington. In, uh, he was hired in 2005. He was hired in 2010 by the Seahawks. Uh, four years later, he was hired by the Vikings. And obviously, we saw how that went. The The safeties in Minnesota just terrified us for years and years. And he joined uh, the Packers one year ago. Well, before that, he actually was a defensive coordinator. Uh, he served with the uh, Houston Oilers, uh, who became the Tennessee Titans, and he also was with uh, Buffalo. Uh, he, the, with the Bills, In so he was the defensive coordinator from 2001 to 2005, and they were an extremely successful defense. In both 2003 and 2004, the Bills ranked second overall in total defense. So that was he was last a defensive coordinator in 04, starting in 05 through 2020. He was a defensive backs coach. I don't know that he was a defensive backs coach because he needed to be. You know, he clearly was very successful as a coordinator overall. Since then, he has just coached the same position group over and over again. I kind of think that that might just be because that's what he enjoyed doing. I don't know. I haven't heard from him, but I mean, you look at the fact that he was consistently a defensive backs coach everywhere he went. And uh, uh, he did take one brief stint with the Titans again in 2011 as a defensive coordinator. But um, most of the time he has been a defensive backs coach. And although he's only been with us for a year, I do think that that is probably long enough for him to figure out how much of this defense he actually likes. It does sound like Gray is one of the top candidates uh, in LaFleur's mind. Certainly the only internal candidate that we have heard that he is considering. And like I said, who was it? Chris Harris, I think, uh, the defensive backs coach that uh, uh, with Washington that he interviewed. I really could see that as potentially because Harris doesn't strike me as a guy who's ready yet to make that leap to to defensive coordinator. I could see him being uh, the defense, new defensive backs coach, which we will need someone if they do in fact promote Jerry Gray to defensive coordinator. And one more interesting point here about Jim Leonard. Did you know that Jim Leonard actually used to work for Jerry Gray? Jerry Gray was his defensive coordinator back in Buffalo would be really interesting if Leonard is the guy that they do hire. Now, Jerry Gray, his old defensive coordinator, could be working under him. So that would be a very interesting uh, connection there. But all right, Gil, 
Who's your pick? Not not we're not predicting who we think the Packers will hire. It's who do you want to hire? Ah oh, boy, uh, it's close for me. Uh, honestly, I I I, th- I would like to go with Gray. I, I think keeping it in house, but getting a an experienced older coach who has been there, who's done that, who knows the personnel already, but will put a different tweak on the defense without completely overhauling it. I, I think that's my number one choice right now. I don't think this team is that far away with a couple of good offseason moves from having a good enough defense. It just becomes a question of of changing the philosophy slightly, and I think we could be there. I'm taking Jim Leonard, and I kind of had to be talked into this a bit because I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a Wisconsin fan. I don't even live in Wisconsin. So I didn't know a ton about him, and to me it had the feeling of like earlier in the year when a lot of Packer fans were saying that we needed to trade, uh, you know, a high draft pick and bring in J.J. Watt. And, you know, to me as an outsider going, uh, uh, J.J. Watt is not <laughs> who he used to be and he's really expensive. Uh, you know, it seems like you guys just like J.J. Watt for who he is and that's why you want to bring him in. Jim Leonard, I, I've heard a lot of really good things about him. Uh, friends with a, a guy, uh, Coach Hahn, who has um, talked to Leonard, um, attended a, a seminar that Leonard put on, and I've just heard Leonard's intelligence talked up a lot and his creativity. And I'm also looking at the success that he's found in Wisconsin with, you know, not some of the greatest players. You know, they they don't have all the all the uh, you know five star recruits that a lot of the other schools have, but he's still getting those really top level results and also seeing guys really develop underneath him and go on to get drafted guys who I think you wouldn't really expect to take that kind of leap, uh, you know, at the college level. I've always been impressed by that. And the fact that he is really young and, you know, is coming in from college where you do have to be a lot more creative right now. I'm kind of ready for some new ideas on defense. I I like, Petten's scheme and you know that is something that Leonard is going to bring is you know a very similar scheme and I think he's going to generate a lot more pressure up front uh, than Petten ever did and that excites me a lot about Jim Leonard well folks you can weigh in which guy would you rather see Jerry Gray or Jim Leonard head on over to Twitter at JJ Leahy L-A-H-E-Y or at Gil Packers we're both going to pin a poll to the top of our profiles where you can vote who do you think has the better answer here so we're going to leave that up for a week. And uh, last week, look, we voted uh, which unrestricted free agent would we prioritize bringing back if we could. I said Aaron Jones. Gil said Corey Lindsley. And wow, you guys, we heard you loud and clear. 74% of you said Corey Lindsley. So Gil takes home another uh, made-up prize and, and gets <laughs> to take a, a victory lap. We're going to transition over and talk about players on the roster. I sent out a, a survey and asked people to rate uh, players on the roster. You could go from all the way from Aaron Rodgers to you could even rate guys who you know didn't play any snaps at all for us, like Devin Funchess, guys on the practice squad like Juwan Winfrey, who you did play one game. What we're looking at is who realistically do we need to move on from this year? So we're not going to spend time talking about Devontae Adams and Jair. We are going to look at some guys like Christian Kirksey, Preston Smith, Oren Burks, and we're going to try and make some hard decisions here. Who's got to go and who can we bring back? And there's also another factor in here of 
you know, finances. We are pretty restricted uh, when it comes to the salary cap. So want to look at some of these guys uh, that you guys had strong opinions about. I think I think we are going to skip Oren Burks here because I think everybody's in agreement here. Oren Burks is probably the worst player on the team. Um, PFF gave him an overall grade of 28.6. You guys barely gave him a 1.5 average. So Oren Burks, uh, he still has a year left on his rookie deal. I can't justify bringing him back for that for that year. I don't care how cheap he is. He's a liability on defense. He's a liability on special teams. I would rather just bring in any old rando off the streets as opposed to Oren Burks. He needs to go work at McDonald's. Wow. You know, as far as I'm concerned, because he's still on his entry-level contract, you bring him back next year. If he does get it all together, which I, I can't say I think he will, but – you could always cut him in training camp. Uh, you let him go now. You're basically saying there is no way this guy could ever help us. Uh, and and that may be true, but I think it's worth giving him one more shot in training camp with the understanding that he's probably, you know, on the fence as it is at best, that he's got to have a strong camp if he wants to stay on this team. Jay Sternberger is the next uh, lowest guy that I think we're going to touch on here. And this is an interesting one because Sternberger, first of all, he's got, I think, at least two years left on his rookie deal. So I I don't don't see how you justify moving on from him. He had an overall PFF PFF grade of 56.8. The biggest issue with Jace is the extraordinary amount of time that he has missed. He played, what, like three games total in 2019, his rookie year, because he was on IR all year, got hurt again this year clearly has had a disappointing career so far, but I think a lot of that has just been really bad luck with injuries. I do have, you know, some questions about how he's training. You know, if, if we need to spend some extra time, you know, working with a strength and conditioning coach with him, try and prevent some of these injuries, teach him how to take care of his body a little bit better when he's out on the field. First of all, he had COVID in, in, one part of the season, missed some time on the COVID reserve list in training camp, uh, then was injured subsequently. And the fact of the matter is, you don't save any money letting go Sternberger when he's still on his entry-level deal. And uh, hopefully, you know, he dedicates himself this offseason, he stays healthy, and is able to come back and start to realize his potential and start to realize what he can do. Give me your take on Dexter Williams, because I've always been way too kind to Dexter because I absolutely love him as a player. So I want to hear your more objective take. I would like to see him do things, uh, but I, I don't think he has a bright future with this team right now. The the big issue for Dexter Williams, we all know he can run the football, but if you're going to play in the Matt LaFleur offense, you've got to pass block and you've got to be able to catch passes out of the backfield. I think his biggest issue is pass blocking. And unless he can, you know, look, when Aaron Jones first came into the league, that was his big issue. And he worked on it and he improved. And nobody's going to say he's the best pass black, uh, blocking running back in the league. But he certainly is good enough at it that you can put him out there confidently and he'll get the job done. Um, we, we saw A.J. Dillon get better at that as the season progressed. Dexter Williams, the key to his success is being able to protect Aaron Rodgers and catch passes from Aaron Rodgers. The running part is not a concern to me. So Kevin King is the next guy on the list. And I think the big question with King is just how much he is offered in free agency. The Packers just don't have a lot of money. 
King is very inconsistent. He plays really well sometimes, really poorly other times. He, he's an okay cornerback. I think that you wouldn't be too mad if, if you know, he was out there in free agency and we picked him up. But I do think that, you know, especially looking at some of the stats that he's had over the years, I think he is going to command a large enough offer that the Packers are going to be more than willing to just let him go get paid elsewhere and look to patch up the cornerback position either in the draft or in free agency. So we're going to move on from Kevin, uh, Ty Summers, and Montrevious Adams, because these are two guys um, over the course of their career have not seen a lot of awesome things for them. Montrevious took a massive step for the first time this year and unfortunately got hurt right away. But he was one of our best run defenders when he was on the team. And the reason I'm bringing him up at the same time as Ty Summers is that this is one of the arguments I have for bringing back a guy like Ty Summers who does not have much of a cap hit. Montrevious was a guy, he was so bad his first couple of years. I was frustrated that he made the 53 this year. And, you know, short of his injury, I was really proven wrong. Uh, he had really taken a massive step this year. And I think Ty Summers, although sometimes he is playing at an Oren Burks level of bad, when he is playing disciplined football and actually doing his job, he can be quite serviceable. Looking at Montrevious as an example, Ty Summers to me is a guy he costs so little money. Just bring him back, give him another year to develop. Uh, we saw we see some good things out of him sometimes. He did kind of play himself off of defense for the most part this year and, you know, get relegated to special teams. But, you know, maybe uh, as a depth guy, as a developmental guy, Ty Summers can can uh, really bring something to the table. I don't see any reason to get rid of him again. Still on his entry level contract, makes contributions on special teams, bring him into camp if he makes an improvement as a linebacker. You definitely keep him if he continues to produce on special teams you consider keeping him and if he doesn't you cut him at the end of camp it, it, it there's there's no cap space to be saved by letting go ty summers now montrevious is an interesting guy here though because he's not under contract anymore he's a free agent uh he might be like an exclusive rights free agent you know we had to you know offer him a tender but what do you do here because we've seen a little bit of a flash from him in 2020 and then he got hurt. What do you do here since he's not under contract? Yeah, I mean, my opinion at this point is I, I think it's time to let him go. I, I just don't think we've seen enough from Montrevious Adams. He did show flashes, but, you know, I think two years in a row, the coaching staff was raving about him in training camp, and then the regular season started, and he was, like, almost invisible uh, for long stretches of time. I, I, I mean. The tools are there. He's got the size. He's got good quickness and speed, but he doesn't seem to put it all together on the field. Maybe you make him a tender and you you bring him back and invite him to training camp. But, you know, I think Kingsley Kiki is really going to become Montrevious Adams 2.0. What, what do you do with Josh Jackson? Oh, boy. You know, again, Josh Jackson, very frustrating in that he's a second round pick who never quite reached his potential. I looked, you know, before the NFC Championship game, I went back and looked at week six again and watched the all 22. And boy, did they pick on Josh Jackson in that game. And boy, did it work. The The thing about Jackson is that the coaching staff doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in him. 
He is behind a lot of players who were either free agents or drafted after him. Maybe the new defensive coordinator comes in and something clicks with Josh Jackson. You know you're already likely to lose Kevin King. I wouldn't cut Josh Jackson at this point, but this is like his last chance to prove that he can make an impact on defense. To me, the biggest issue with Josh Jackson is his lack of speed, and that's not going away. Maybe his skill set is better for either slot receiver, uh, slot corner rather, or maybe mm-hmm. as a safety, but that's a, tr- a position change that would take a lot of time. And you know what, if they're going to do it, they should start doing it ASAP. All right. We're going to rapid fire a couple of these guys. Just tell me yes or no. Would you bring these guys back for 2021? Tavon Austin? No. Billy Wynn? Uh, yes. At the veteran minimum. Will Redmond? Yes, but also wouldn't pay him very much. Snacks Harrison. No. Ben Braden, guard. Uh, maybe, yes. But John Lovett. Yes. Tyler Lancaster. Yes. All right. I think I agree with all those answers. Let's look at uh, two more guys here before we wrap up. Uh, three, three guys here. First is Preston Smith. Is there any argument for keeping Preston Smith right now? If... There's cap space. He would be one of the people I would consider. Look, he finished strong at the end of the year, played better, I would say, the last four or five games. But the drop-off between 2019 and 2020 was so great, and the salary number is too high to justify based on the 2020 numbers of keeping him. You know, I actually miscounted. We have three now, now that you've answered about uh, Preston. (sighs) With how much he's getting paid, because he is uh, a top 10 highest-played player on the team, if we cut him, we free up $8 million. We have Rashawn Gary. We have other edge rushers that we have been developing, like uh, typical Leia. I can't justify bringing Preston back, which stinks because I really like him as as a guy. He's, you know, as a personality, he's one of my favorite players on the team. But he just, he's way too much money. I think unless he's willing to take a serious pay cut to come back, you got to move on. I agree. Okay, Dean Lowry is a guy that we need to talk about for a second because... I think we're all in agreement that the level of play we've been getting from him is not acceptable. However, we have no depth at D-line. And we're already talking about moving on from guys like Montrevious, possibly Billy Wynn. You know, Anthony Rush probably isn't coming back. Right. To be honest, uh, look at uh, how you know, we, we basically rolled into the regular season with our 53-man roster. Basically had the bare minimum number of D-linemen you could even have and still put a defense on the field. <laughs> The thing that Dean Lowry does bring is a veteran presence, an understanding of what they're trying to do here. I think you're you're the danger is you're bringing in so many new pieces this year along the D line, and probably some of these guys are going to be rookies. I think there's an argument for keeping Dean Lowry uh, at least for one more year, especially if you can you know Lane Taylor him and get him to uh, take a pay cut. If you can Lane Taylor him, I keep him for sure. He is what he is. He's limited, but he's steady and consistent, and he'll stop the run. He'll make a few good run tack, you know, running game stops. I would like to keep him around. Maybe if he takes a pay cut, I would definitely keep him, but I, I would like to keep him around one way or the other because we are so thin at the position. All right, Shannon Sullivan, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Gil and I both agree that the general consensus out there that Chandon is terrible and we need to move on from him because he's a liability. We don't agree with that at all. No. he's He got picked on in the NFC Championship game. 
at the beginning of the championship game, Troy Aikman, the genius that he is, came out and said, oh, you know, Chandon Sullivan, he's uh, one of the weak links on this defense. And then Sullivan proceeded to have a pretty bad game. I think that that really colored a lot of people's opinions of a guy who has been a really phenomenal player for us over the year, over the last two years. Gil and I are pretty much in agreement. There's no way you move on from Shannon Sullivan right here. And and uh, I understand that some of you guys are frustrated about him, but you got to remember also it's just one game. He played at a very high level for the rest of the year. He was honestly one of our better corners. And you're looking to where he came from and how much we're paying him. This guy is is worth so much more than what it cost us to acquire him. So got to bring back Chan and Sullivan. I agree. And, and look, he was excellent as a dime back in 2019. Maybe he slipped down from excellent to good or pretty good as the nickelback last year. But he's still developing. I'd give him another chance. And you don't save really any money by letting him go. Christian Kirksey. This is this is a big one. He's complicated here because he was so terrible for the whole year. I think his overall PFF grade for the year was like a 44. He pretty much has been like a 40 to low 40s player for most of his career. Here's where it gets complicated. Toward the end of the year, Patton moved him to be the Will linebacker instead of the Mike linebacker. And we saw just a phenomenal jump in his level of play. He actually became one of the better linebackers on the team and and actually in the nfc championship game he was the highest graded player on the entire team so you got your big question here okay he is not cheap but he's not like stupid expensive either and he does have that veteran experience this at one point was a really easy cut for me and now i'm really on the fence what do you think i think that Yes, he came on later in the year when they switched his position, but I just think that the salary he's making doesn't justify keeping him on. I like Kirko as a person, uh, seems to be a good fit in the locker room, but the production just isn't there. You've got Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin, who are good, young, up-and-coming players, and I think you can save some money by letting Kirksey go. Not, I, I don't think it's an easy decision, but I think it's the right decision. Factoring the financials in, it becomes a lot easier to cut him because he costs twice as much in 2021 as he did in 2020. You do save $5.6 million by moving on from him. I think I think I would pull the trigger and go ahead and cut him. The last guy that we are going to talk about before we wrap up, Rick Wagner. Dude, I mean, he, he, he balled out all year. He worked really hard for us. Most of the time, he was excellent. Uh, his two worst games, easily were against the Buccaneers, uh, unfortunately. The rest of the year, he he was a really solid tackle. Clearly, the, the biggest reason to consider moving on from him is to free up some cap space. I think he, you got to keep him just because of the lack of depth at the position. You don't know if, da- if David Bakhtiari is ready to start the season. That is up in the air after his uh, knee injury. You need a swing tackle um, unless Yosh uh, Neiman is ready. I think you got to keep Rick Wagner around for one more year. You don't save a ton. He's 1.75 million dead cap, 4.25 if we cut him. Uh, he is owed a total of $6 million. With our situation with uh, Bakhtiari and not even knowing if he's going to be ready week one to start, man, that's a tough one. Just because of you know what a premium position that is, and we are really thin there. Unless we're seeing... Just some massive leaps from some of our other guys, like you mentioned, Nijman, or you know some of our uh, 
sixth round draft picks last year. If, you know, if we're seeing a leap from them in uh, the offseason, maybe a move on then. But I think they for sure at least head into uh, OTAs and all that with Wagner still on, on their uh, roster. I agree. All righty, that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter, at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. You can email us a question at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not